Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Rubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. A solo episode today. Don't have any guests on, but that's because we have returned to go over some of my final 2022 NBA draft big board today. We are going to run through the second round guys. So really that means ranking 60 all the way through 31 on this podcast. And I've already gotten some questions about, Nate, you have a final board done right now. Why a quote unquote final board? You still got about a month to go before the draft. Well, in all honesty, my evaluations are done. And for the most part, other than just having some conversations with Bull, trying to, to get some intel behind the scenes, they've really been done for quite a while. It's more so just nitpicking, kind of trying to put some different pieces together, see who's actually going to be in the draft, which some of this could technically still change. Um, even by the time you hear this podcast, I believe the deadline for everybody domestically to essentially pull out of the draft is June 1st. And then there's another deadline that goes out to June 15th for P for players to withdraw from the draft as well. That's more so you're going to see some international prospects potentially take their names out of the draft at that deadline. So really we're going to have the best picture in terms of clarity for who's going to be in the 2022 NBA draft by June 1st. Other than that, my evaluations, like I said, they're basically done and I feel really good about where my board is at. So I just want to jump right into it. We want to get through a lot of these second round guys, and then we will break up the first round in, in two different podcasts. That's really where I'll go a little more in depth talking about each selection and, and really the why behind each selection. Not that I won't do that here, but these 60 players, we have talked about them at length on this podcast over the course of multiple episodes, multiple big board episodes, multiple mock drafts, and obviously all of the in-depth breakdowns both that I've done with guests and then when Stephen Gillespie has been on as my co-host, when him and I have had conversations, we, we've dug through a lot of these guys. We, we know the meat and potatoes. It's more about where do I feel about them? Where am I comfortable ranking them? And this is only a big board ranking podcast, by the way, as well, you know, going through the first round of guys as well. I will do a separate tiers podcast similar to what I did last year. I will just hammer it out in one podcast as we get closer to the draft, this is only rankings on my board. So why do I have certain players where I do? What, what am I kind of thinking about when I'm trying to rank these guys? Well, obviously, I have certain positional classifications. I go by guard, wing, forward, and center on my personal big board. There are multiple different ways to do it. Some people use even less classifications by position. Some use more positions, um, such as good friend of the program, Rashad, shout out to him over at Sports Talk 2319. He uses a 12 position system. I keep it pretty simple. I use four different classifications. In terms of any positions that I prioritize, obviously, today's game, you're really looking for those versatile type of players, those guys 6'5 through 6'9, those wings slash forwards that really give you the ability to cover multiple positions defensively, switch appropriately, and then offer shot making over the defense at as many positions on the floor as possible. Obviously, that's what you would want to prioritize. These true guards, these lead guards, I've talked about it through the process. I'm kind of lower on a number of them 
than consensus because I just believe the bar, the threshold that you have to hit to play the point guard position in the NBA, just given how much fluctuation there's been between, you know, is, is it a true lead guard, the mold of like your standard sixth run through six, three guy. Is it your oversized lead ball handler, like a LeBron James, a Luka Doncic? Are you putting the ball into a, a wings hands to sort of initiate the offense or, or hunt matchups and then get in the ball from there? Like, like a Giannis onto the Kupo, Jason Tatum, what, what are you doing? What are you trying to build within your offense? And basketball has really moved to a positionless landscape to the point where if you're going to have somebody as talented as a Luca, who's six, eight, who's handling the ball, who can do so many things, who can see over the top of the defense, who can shoot over virtually anybody who's going to be guarding him at that spot. That sets the bar so much higher for some of these smaller guys coming into the league who have to create over consistent size. They, they aren't really getting matchups in their favor from a size perspective anymore. They have to do so much and close so many gaps on the floor Unless you're a truly special guard talent, which I will always stick up for the little guys if they deserve it. But unless you are a truly special guard talent, I'm going to prioritize other positions over you at this point. This is just where the league is going. I've tried to stick to my old guns from an evaluation standpoint for as long as I possibly can. But watching the last two to three years of the NBA playoffs, it really is about how many guys can you have on the floor at one time between those heights that I gave anywhere from six, five to, you know, obviously your true bigs are about six eleven through, through seven, two at this point, how many guys can you have between those sizes who can get you buckets on offense, who can do something to continuously score or shoot the basketball on offense while being able to defend as many positions as possible on the defensive end, limiting who can be hunted on the court at all times. That's just, that's where the game is. And one can make an argument. That's where the game's always been. And that's true to an extent. Could we have more guards in the future who are on the smaller side, like the, between the, the six, one, the six, three, who can really change the game because of some of their outlier physical traits when it comes to speed, etc. We can absolutely get more of those guys in the fold in the NBA. The, the, the true quote unquote guard is far from dead in the NBA. You just have to be, playing at, at a different level at this point to really make it up higher into like the, the top 25 or top 20 uh, of my big board at this point, for example. So let's break this down again. I'm not going to spend too much time on each player individually. I more so just want to run through the rankings on these guys and maybe for some of them give a little bit of a background as to why I have them where I do. So start at the very back end of my board, number 60, I have Dominic Barlow out of the overtime elite program. He looked really good in the NBA draft combine. Big, massive, six foot ten guy. He he looked bigger at the combine than, than I expected him to. And then what I remember seeing on some of the overtime leap film that I scouted to see, not only him, but obviously um, John Montero, who we will definitely get to at some point in this podcast, can shoot, can stretch the floor. I'm really concerned about how physical of a player he is. Obviously, the, the rebounding wasn't able to stand out at the combine. I do have some defensive questions. I think if everything breaks right for him, he is the modern forward that you want to have on your NBA team. I just have some question marks, which is why I'm going to have him on the back end of my board at number 60, but still a very draftable prospect. Would not shock me based on some of the things he did do well at the combine, some of the mobility that he flashed, again, some of the perimeter shot making. 
would not shock me, especially at his size, if he was drafted much higher than spot 60. So 59, I have Ron Harper Jr. at a Rutgers, one of my more favorite prospects in this draft class. I would, I would love to have Ron higher. There are just so many other bets that I would rather make. A lot of those guys who are younger than Ron at this point, Ron was a senior at Rutgers, but he is a guy who he'll, he'll find a home in the NBA one way or another. Too good of a spot-up shot maker from the outside. Very unique characteristics from a physical standpoint. 6'6", like, like in that 245 to the, the 260 range. If he can keep the weight under control, if he can continue to build his stamina, work on his conditioning, he has all the shot making and the tools that you want from that perspective. An underrated passer at times. And on the perimeter, moves his feet, as we've talked about in other podcasts, a lot better than you'd expect from a man that size. So I love Ron Harper Jr., 59. 58. I have J.D. Davison. Some people might be really surprised to hear where I have Davison, somebody who I talked about him in the preseason. If you listen to this podcast, he was the guard who I really wanted to root for throughout this draft process. The one who I thought could rise above everybody else and be the best point guard prospect in this class. I even wrote similar words for a column very early on in the process for no ceilings. He just never did it for me, guys. There's too much, in my opinion, that he has to work on from a skills perspective on both ends of the floor to really allow for me to draft him higher solely because of his physical tools. The fact that he is 6'3", he has a plus wingspan, he's one of the quickest players in this draft, can get up off the floor and, and, and dunk the ball home. I love everything he brings from a physical standpoint, but I do not trust him as a consistent perimeter shooter. I don't trust him as a finisher around the basket. I don't really think he has a mid-range game right now. He's a below average passer, in my opinion. And the turnover stuff because of the handle being weak at certain points, especially when he tries to drive in the traffic. I mean, he's he is a turnover machine. And I don't think that he's a dumb basketball player by any means, but he makes some dumb mistakes on the court, really, because I just think he needs more seasoning at that position. He's one player I would have loved to see come back to school because I think he could have shown us different things from a skill standpoint. So he's going to be in the draft and this is where I would be comfortable drafting him today. Back end of the second, he's, he's one of those guys. I wish there was more there to work with, but if I were running an NBA franchise, I would not want to be the one drafting J.D. Davison at this point in his career. I hope he continues to develop and improve, and I hope he proves me wrong, but that's why I have him at 58. John Butler, 57, Florida State, wing slash forward, however you want to classify him, seven-foot-plus shooter, absolute awesome shooter of the basketball doesn't really give me a ton else yet other than the shooting and some of the defensive versatility. He's one of these guys, again, he could switch on so many different matchups. He moves his feet well on the perimeter as he keeps adding to his body. He keeps bulking out a little bit, keeps getting stronger. He'll be able to handle more of the forward positions. There's so much there to work with and an underrated hat, uh, uh, handle. And he did some interesting things passing out of pick and roll sets, not just looking to, to shoot. Um, over the top of defenders as well. There's a very interesting player there. I just think from a physical standpoint and from will he be able to impact the game from day one in the NBA floor, I think he's a little too far away yet. He's another guy I would have liked to see come back to school, but very, very, very draftable pro prospect. I, it would not shock me if we saw John Butler go in the first round. It, it honestly would not shock me at this point. At 56, Iverson Molinar, the guard out of Mississippi State, just too inconsistent of a shooter 
for my liking, can do a lot of things well inside the arc, has a nice floater game, has a nifty pull-up game about 10, 12 feet away from the basket, can finish around the basket, has the speed to be able to get to the spots where he needs to go inside the arc. But we see it time and time again, these guards who can't shoot well enough from the perimeter and who aren't these plus size guards. It's really a mixed bag in terms of if they actually thrive in the NBA. I think Iverson Molinar can definitely be a long-term NBA guard. I just think he's better suited as a backup. And if I'm drafting a backup guard who doesn't really blow me away, similar to how I would view like a Kennedy Chandler right now, for example, who I will have ranked in the first round, I'm going to prioritize other positions, kind of like what I talked about at the top of the podcast. At 55, I have Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU, the rangy wing. I do like a lot of things that he brings to the table from a versatility standpoint, can defend multiple positions, can be a, a awesome spot up shooter and can certainly do some things packing the ball off a live dribble as well. He's an older prospect. I just, I, I struggle a little bit to see how all of it fully comes together for him and how he's like a first round talent in this draft. I think he's a second round guy. And at this point, a little further up on my board there there's a few older guys who i think have outlier skills that that really stand out vince williams jr does a number of things good how many does he do well and given the age factor he is another guy again i, I would rather draft a younger prospect not not that i let the age definitely be one of the ultimate determinations in my evaluation but i would rather take a swing on some of these younger guys than a vince williams jr but a very very draftable prospect an nba player nonetheless 54, I have Michael Foster out of the G League Ignite. I really would love to put Michael Foster higher. Just a lot of the defense, as I've talked about on multiple shows, it really gives me cause to pause. I think he's caught in the worst way in between positions defensively, and I think that could really come around to bite him in the NBA. I think he has one of the more intriguing offensive skill sets I've seen from a forward in this draft class. He could absolutely get buckets. He can rebound the ball, and he was one of the more productive young guys for that G League Ignite squad. Arguably at times, as I've said, I know that Dyson Daniels really came on at different points throughout the second half of the year, and his defense always stayed afloat. But in terms of offensively, Michael Foster did look at times like their most consistent player for the G League Ignite. That, that speaks to me, where, whereas some people might not want to take a swing on him in this draft. They might rank him outside of their top 60. I would absolutely take a swing on him. I have him at 54. Hugo Basson, out of the New Zealand Breakers, the guard at 53. If he was more of a natural point guard, much more of a capable facilitator, playmaker, didn't give me some of the turnovers, didn't give me some of the shooting inefficiencies inside the arc. I'd be a lot higher on Hugo. He's one of these perimeter catch fire shot makers, which is great. But if he's not coming in as a plus size guard um, and, and, and there, there were some interesting measurements that, 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 uh, that went around the combine. I'm not believing those measurements. My eye test tells me he is about a 6'3 guard. If I'm not getting that true plus size at that position and he's not the type of playmaker that's going to come in and be able to set the table effectively for everybody else, if he's looking to exclusively score, particularly shoot out of the pick and roll, I'm going to prioritize uh, much more versatile players in front of him. 52, Jordan Hall out of St. Joseph's. Man, there was one point where I did flirt with having Jordan um, in the first round uh, of my big board. And 
the main reason why I come back to ranking him lower in the second round and really as low as I have him right now at 52, the jump shot looks good, but it hasn't been consistent for him during games, nor has some of the finishing. He got a little better this year in terms of, in terms of the physicality with finishing around the basket, but an inconsistent score. I love everything he brings from a passing standpoint. He's one of these bigger wing initiators, sees over everybody, sees over the top of the defense. I love it. I get the package, but with the defensive concerns that just haven't been there for him and the scoring and shooting inefficiencies, you're, you're, you're banking on quite a bit for that type of a player to become much more efficient than what he's been in college um, to really stand out as somebody who's more than, than just a 16 to 18 minute a night player. We're talking about putting him in the first round, like starter territory. Like, can you play 28 to 32 minutes a night on an NBA floor? I don't feel comfortable with where Jordan's at right now to rank him higher in that mold. So I'm going to take some bets on some other players. I'll have Jordan at 52 at 51. Josh Minot out of Memphis. Everybody hears me talk about Josh Minot and how much I've loved him throughout this draft process. Why don't I have him higher than 51? I just, there are some things where he, he's, he's a smart guy. He puts himself in the right position at the right time to make plays, the hustle plays, the offensive rebounds, the putback dunks, the transition finishes. I love a lot of that. He is one of the more underrated athletes. In this draft class, he's done some work on the jump shot. I want to see more from a shooting and a scoring perspective on an NBA floor before I would have been more comfortable to rank him, maybe even more so than on an NBA floor, but on a college floor, right? Maybe he's one of these guys who comes back to school for a second year, really blows the doors off after a summer of hard work and jumps into that first round. But there's enough question marks for me, despite some of the positional versatility we can talk about. Another one of these switchable defenders. There's enough question marks for me on the offensive end to question, um, how does he really fit into a half-court NBA offense? What can he really do from day one to fit into a half-court NBA offense? That's why I'm going to have him on the back end at number 51. And number 50, Jalen Williams out of Arkansas. I would love for, for Jalen Williams to show me a little more on defense um, other than taking charges. The, his footwork has been in question on the defensive end, not just for myself, but for my co-host Stephen Gillespie over here at Draft Deeper as well, who is a really big Arkansas fan but struggles to see what he does on the defensive end that really sets him apart from some of the other prospects we can talk about, certainly in this range. Offensively, an underrated passer, especially with his back to the basket, has an intriguing face-up skill set that he's still looking to build out more of. And we saw later in the season, um, particularly in the SEC tournament, when, when that face-up package starts to come around for him, he becomes a dangerous forward um, at his height and at his size as he continues to fill out put some more weight on, be able to handle the physicality of the NBA game against similar sized players in the professional league a little better. We might see a better prospect emerge, but he's another one of these guys I would have rather seen come back to school if he's going to stay in the draft. I will take him in the second round. This is just where I have him on my personal board. 50 at 49, John Montero out of the overtime elite. This could seem really, really, really low to some people, but again, this is just personal positional preference right? Do I want to take a guard who I still have so many questions about? Is he a legitimate playmaker or is he more of an assist hunter who can turn into a turnover machine? Will all of the perimeter inefficiencies definitely turn themselves around? Will he be a more efficient scorer inside the arc? Just because he's quick enough to get to his spots doesn't mean he's always able to finish once he gets there. 
I have too many question marks for a guy who I, I struggle to come around with. Is he, is he actually bigger than six one? The eye test tells me he's, he's a fairly small guard out there. I, I struggle with some of that. So I have John Montero at, at 49, again, just, just one to prioritize other positions ahead of a guard like him at 48. I have Walker Kessler, the Auburn center, somebody who has really dropped down my board because I've gone back and I've watched and, I think some of the other guys in those ceilings who are trying to tell me about Walker Kessler are right. He's, he's too much of a plotter for me. Big men these days have to be much more mobile, much more fluid on the defensive end. One of, if not the best shot blockers in terms of somebody going into his body down by the basket. He has excellent anticipation. He doesn't overly foul in those situations, but you get him caught in space. He could be caught reaching. He's not the best in terms of recovery. There, there are as many ways as he can impact the game defensively around the basket. There are more ways when you bring him outside the basket where he can negatively impact um, a team's performance on the defensive end and in the offense. These types of big men, I want you to be hyper-efficient finishers, like a Mark Williams, for example. Even Jalen Duran, to an extent, was a much better finisher, I, I think, that some people want to give him credit for at the college level. And you factor in he's not a hyper-efficient finisher on the basket. The jump shot's still coming around for him. Walker Kessler, to me, is a better guy to, to take a flyer on in the second round than pushing him closer to the first round, so I have him at 48. Isaiah Mobley, the USC forward at 47, much higher than where I initially anticipated to have him around the, the, the 60 to 65 range. If you did not listen to my podcast with Coach Adam Spinell over at the Box and One, we recorded that show on his Box and One podcast feed where we broke down some of the second-round bigs in this draft class, definitely go and listen to that pod where we break down Mobley and really give our thoughts on his potential versatility in the NBA. But he strikes me as somebody who he's one of these forwards I would really like to have on my NBA roster. Maybe not necessarily a starter, although his his highest outcome could have him as a starter. But one of these forwards, when your first guys you can bring in off the bench, you trust them to do a variety of things on the court, both on the offensive and the defensive end. He really fits where the modern NBA is going, so I am going to have him at 47. At 46, Kevin McCuller, no ceilings favorite, the Texas Tech wing, still has some things he really needs to prove on the offensive end, particularly the shooting. Did not score and shoot the ball well at the combine, but, man, did he show more of the defensive versatility and absolute hound on that end of the floor, can guard multiple positions. All he needs to do is to prove he can hit open jump shots. If he can be a legitimate corner three-point shooter, he has a role in the NBA. He can be a better decision-maker in terms of keeping the ball moving at times they give him credit for, and everything he gives you defensively, man, he is a monster, monster defensive wing. So I, I would like to take a bet on him in the second round. I'll take a flyer. I'll have him at forty-six. And number five, 45, Musa Diabate, the forward out of Michigan. Oh, by the way, just one note about Kevin McCuller. I believe that he may ultimately be out of the draft class, out, out of the NBA draft. I saw that he did commit to Kansas should he return to school, so he may be out. He's one of those guys I do have circled on my big board. I got to circle back around to that with McCuller. He's one of these guys who could ultimately be out of the NBA draft this year. 
45, Musa Diabate, the forward out of Michigan. All indications point to him staying in the draft. And why wouldn't we stay in the draft? A really rangy six foot ten forward who can play small ball five, depending on the matchup. Somebody who will fill out and keep adding to his frame. We saw, especially in that North Carolina game early on in the year, when he gets his face up game going, when he can make those 10 to 15 foot jump shots, when he can be an active presence around the basket, when he can rebound, when he can block shots on the defensive end, be a weak side help. Uh, shot blocker there are so many things he can do at his size with his athletic package on the floor where you could really develop him to be a tenacious player at the NBA level more of a developmental project that's why I have him on the back end at 45 but there are enough things to really like about his game where you can draft him you can bring him into your franchise and you can look at him and say if you develop this this and this you are absolutely on your way to being a starter in the NBA at 44, I have Trevor Keels, the Duke guard. Really interesting combo guard. Came into the year one of the most scorching hot prospects on everybody's boards. Was a lottery guy, potentially a top 10 guy. I know ESPN had him inside the top 10 at one point. Really, really interesting guard prospect. Just never shot the ball up to his capability for Duke last year. Had sort of a mixed role, would be playing off the ball, then all of a sudden would be involved making plays for others out of the pick and roll. I like that they allowed him to do multiple things on the floor. It adds to some of the offensive versatility that he can bring. He's built like a shit brick house. So you know that he, while, while some of the defensive um, things still need to be ironed out, he has the body to play NBA level defense. And if more of the offense does come around for him, if an NBA team can figure out how to properly use him on that side of the ball, and if more of the shooting comes around, he can outperform certainly where I have him on my big board and, and, certainly exude first round value. He, he absolutely can get to that point where he, where he provides first round value. Same thing for Caleb Houston at 43, the, the Michigan wing could absolutely be a first round level talent. Just was not consistent on the offensive end at any point throughout the year has some major question marks on the defensive side of the ball. When it comes to guarding somebody one-on-one, he's not a multi-positional defender. I, I think he's kind of another one of these guys. He's caught in the worst way in between positions, the three and the four on the defensive end. And he's, he doesn't have that burst either. When, when, when they tried to put the ball in his hands to, to play make or score out of certain pick and roll situations, he, he was a capable passer when he had enough space to actually make the pass. But when he tried to turn the corner, get downhill and score at the basket, nothing ever went well for him. I don't trust his pull-up shot in those situations. And then again, if he's getting all the way to the rim to try and finish around the basket, he's a below the rim athlete in that sense. He's not getting too high up off the ground. Very easy target to have his shot blocked. Really, he, he, he's a movement shooter, a corner floor spacer. And if he's not giving me the, the D and the quote unquote three and D archetype, I'm going to prioritize other people in other positions that really come up and, and give me more of that versatility. So I'll have Caleb Houston at 43. At 42, I have Leonard Miller, the interesting Canadian forward, one of the most polarizing prospects in this draft class. There are some people who want to have him. Hell, some people have him ranked as, as high as in the lottery. Uh, I, I can't get there. I watched Leonard Miller. I think he's he's too far away. He didn't have a good showing at the combine. He measures out really well. One of the most intriguing physical prospects we have in this draft class, especially given the age. But I, I think he's a little bit of a ways away from contributing on an NBA floor. We're talking two to three years of development, and then we'll ultimately see where he's at. He's one of these guys. I, I think I can speak for a lot of others in this space as well. 
we would have loved to see him play on a college floor. And what exactly does that look like? Can he go into a summer full of hard work, come back with a more polished offensive game? Can we see a little bit more um, other than the inefficiencies we saw? If everything breaks right for him, he's a really interesting stretch 6'10 forward who can shoot from the perimeter, handle the basketball, make plays for others, and switch across multiple positions on the defensive end. I know. I say all of that, and you look at me like, why aren't you prioritizing that player higher up on your board? I just think he's he's too far away from what I've seen on film for him to, to realize that certainly quick enough early on in his NBA career. And if you don't produce enough early on, well, once you make it to the NBA, you can fall through the cracks in a hurry. That's just, there's so much talent coming into the NBA. That's just where we're at. You have to be able to hold on to your job and then prove that you're worth it. Otherwise, you can slip through the cracks. And that's just the unfortunate nature of a competitive business like the NBA. 41, I have Kendall Brown. The Baylor wing was as high as top 10 on a number of big boards closer to the early part of the year but did really fall on his face, fall on his face, excuse me, as the year kept going on. And now we get to the point where he's, he's trending towards the, the back end of the second round for me about the, about, I shouldn't say back end, about the middle of the second round for me at 41. I just, I had this conversation with somebody else last night, um, the, the night before I started recording this podcast. What, what does he really do well on the court? that signals to you this, this, and this are definitely going to translate without question at the NBA level. He's one of the better athletes still, in my opinion, in this draft class. But if he's not being active, if he's not engaged, if he's not always moving, how can you possibly showcase the potential top shelf athlete that you are? If you're not being assertive on the offensive end of the floor, too many questions on the defensive end as well to lead me to believe he's not going to be a positive defender when he gets into the NBA. A lot of young guys are, are negatives on the defensive side of the ball for a variety of reasons that I've talked about on the last few episodes of the Draft Deeper podcast, but really with Kendall Brown, I think he could be a major um, negative on the defensive side of the ball when he first comes into the league. So I'm going to be a little lower on him. At 40, I have Alondes Williams. The Wake Forest guard. We've talked about Alondas plenty with multiple guests across multiple episodes of the Draft Deeper podcast. So I don't need to go too deep into what he brings to the table. One of the most exciting passers in this draft class. If he can just shoot the basketball better in multiple situations, he would be even higher on my personal board. But I'll have him at 40. Gabriel Prochita. The Italy, I have him listed as a guard here. Honestly, he's he's more of a wing at this point. I believe he measured in around six foot eight at the combine. Massive, massive wing with so much juice, so much athletic upside. Beautiful jump shot can be one of these microwave wing scorers. I have him at 39. 38, I did move Christian Coloco up my board where I was originally ranking him in like the 50 to 52 range. I moved him up to 38. He could absolutely push the challenge and be drafted in the first round if that jump shot is real, if those combine shooting drills are real, if what we've seen on video from his pro day are real. Man, Coloco could be a legitimate stretch big who can protect the rim. I don't love everything he does in space. I don't believe that he's more of a face-up scoring option at the NBA level. He's a catch-and-shoot guy or he's a post-up guy, and I don't even buy into everything that he shows um, in the post. I'd like him to be a little more efficient, not one of your athletic, I'm going to jump out the gym vertical lob spacers like a Mark Williams. So he's just not always my cup of tea for a big man, but the jump shot, if it's real, 
again, that changes a lot. I just like to bet on skills that I've been able to see enough of on tape, not just relying on combine drills and, and workout videos to tell me what a player can and can't do. Um, but again, if we would have seen more of that jump shot at Arizona, I would absolutely have him firmly planted in my first round. I'll have him at 38 here on my big board. Somebody who I will just circle now and everybody listening to this podcast can circle where I have Coloco and definitely hold on to his name as somebody who could outperform where I have him on my current edition of the big board. At 37, I have Justin Lewis, the Marquette forward, can do some things at a good level on the offensive end, can provide defensive versatility on that end of the floor as well. I there, There's some parts of me that question how high his ceiling is as a ball handler and as a jump shooter. Is he more of a, a small ball big? Is he just like a pick and pop forward? What will he be able to grow into at the NBA level? I, I don't buy a lot of the fluidity off the of bounce. Again, I, I don't don't think he's a, a great ball handler. I think he's he's around average from that aspect. I don't really see a lot of the passing creativity, Some uh, a few flashes here and there, but I really question what he's going to provide consistently on, on, on from an offensive level. Again, he's one of these really young sophomore prospects in the draft, so he could absolutely grow into being more at the NBA level with the right development. I will have him at 37. And 36, I have Jabari Walker here out of Colorado for a lot of the same reasons, have moved him much higher up my board again, like some of these guys. But I've had conversations with enough people who are much smarter in this space than I am to the point where it gets hard not to buy into at least having him as an early second round grade. I, I, I struggle sometimes with jump shot and how it looks, but it does go in and went in at efficient enough levels this year. We can question some of the face-up versatility he has, how he's stiff, a little too upright that leads to him not having the cleanest handle when it comes to actually taking somebody off the dribble, but he does work out of the post. He's a capable passer, capable shooter, and a multi-positional defender if everything breaks right for him. If he's one of these guys, he might look a little doughy. If he drops about 5 to 10, 15 pounds at the NBA level, continues to, to maintain that strength base of his, I think that would allow him to be a little more fluid, a little more mobile. And then we look at one of these players who every NBA team wants to have on their roster, these 6'8", 6'9", forwards who can do multiple things on both ends of the floor. That's why I moved Jabari Walker on my board at 36. At 35, Ishmael Kamagate, one of the most intriguing big men prospects that we have in this draft class. I'm buying the mid-range touch. I'm buying the eventual three-point touch on a shot. Is incredibly mobile as a big man. Is one of these vertical lob spacers. Can rebound the absolute hell out of the ball. Can block shots, protect the rim um, in a one-on-one -on -one situation around the basket when somebody's trying to go into his body, as well as protect the rim um, coming over from the weak side to help. He can do a lot of different things on the floor, and he's won matchups, as some people have alluded to on this show, against Victor Wembanyama, the projected number one pick in 2023. He's made him look bad at different times with some of the international film that, that you're able to see from, from this season. So there's a lot of good things going for him. I think he's still a little raw to come into the NBA and produce right now, but either as a draft and stash guy, or if you do bring them over, you give them a year or two to develop, you could really have something special at the center spot. One of these more versatile um, centers that, that we could talk about in this draft class at 34, Ryan Rawlings, 
the Brian Rollins, excuse me, the smooth scoring guard out of Toledo. If the three-point shot comes around, the three-point shot, particularly off the dribble, starts to look as good as what it does inside the arc around that free-throw line extended area, he could be a lethal, lethal bucket getter at the NBA level. I think already has microwave scoring potential um, because of his pull-up jump shot, because of what he can do finisher on the basket. Very underrated pick and roll, not just score, but also playmaker in those situations. Um, out of the MAC conference, if all of those things translate on the offensive end, including the three-point shot continuing to come around, he could really become one of these, as I said, these microwave scoring threats, similar or at least in a similar mold of like a Jordan Clarkson, for example, which NBA teams looking for a sixth or a seventh man, that's what they're looking for a lot of times. They're looking for a capable forward slash big who can switch across multiple positions and at least hit an open corner three-point shot. And they're looking for these guards who can come in, change the pace of the game, score both in the half court as well as in transition. I trust Ryan Rollins to do a lot on an NBA four from a scoring standpoint. So I have him at, at 34. Would not shock me if an NBA team took a swing on him in the first round at 33 i have christian brown the kansas wing man he is one of my favorite talents again in this draft class the competitive fire that he plays with the person he is if you did not listen to my podcast that steven and i did we interviewed cj Moore of the athletics somebody who it's literally his job to be around the kansas program had nothing but good things to say about christian brown as well as ochai abaji who i will be talking about on another episode of this big board podcast he's higher on my board there are enough inefficiencies and questions around christian brown's offensive game in the half court that lead me to have him as like an early second round grade. But if he plays consistently up to the level, like he did in that second combine game, he would be a first rounder on my board without question. And even though I have him in like this 33 range, he's still somebody who, if I was running an NBA franchise, I would love to have somebody who's that competitive yet that coachable in my locker room to rub off on everybody else. So I'm, I, I am still a big Christian Brown guy. Don't let my ranking on my big board fool you about how much I would love to have him on my team. At 32, Jake Laravia, another friend of the No Ceilings Collective, the Wake Forest forward. If he really does shoot the lights out, like he's shown us in, in workouts when, when Corey's gone to see him, we, we've heard the interviews both with Corey as well as Raphael Barlow over at NBA Big Board. Seems like a really stand-up, high-character individual. Brings you that versatility at forward size, the shooting ability, the underrated passing ability, the potential, de the potential defensive switchability between the three and the four, and sometimes even switching out on the guards depending on what matchup. There's a lot of good that Jake Laravia brings to an NBA floor for what the modern game is looking for and an underrated cutter as well. Somebody who can do some things on the ball, but really is one of the better off ball options at the forward spot we have in this draft class and NBA teams. They don't always need every single player on the floor to be able to do things with the ball in their hands. They need enough guys who contribute, who can contribute away from the basketball as well. So Jake Laravia at 32 and then 31, to wrap up the second round guys for me here, Wendell Moore, the Duke wing. I've had my questions about him. I've had my doubts. He could absolutely be in the first round of this draft class. He, he falls short just outside my top 30. I still question if the jump shot's going to fully translate as it has. I question how good of a three-point shooter he's going to be. Is he going to be that same type of one-on-one -on -one shot maker that he was um, around the elbows and in 
kind of like he was in the NCAA tournament run for Duke this previous postseason. Can Wendell Moore be more of that creative shot maker? Because I don't think the handle is as tight as it needs to be to be that true quote unquote point winger, point forward that ideally I think Duke wanted him to be when, when Duke took the ball out of his hands and had him in less of those situations at volume, that Duke offense really started to hum with Jeremy Roach coming in there. They did a lot of the double drag stuff with him, Paolo Bencaro and Mark Williams. That offense really started to take on a new identity. And when Wendell Moore's role was much more simplified to be being a floor spacer and being a timely shot maker and sort of like a dump off passer type of guy, secondary playmaker, that's when his role really started to come together. So again, has the talent to potentially be a first rounder. I have him just outside there at 31 on my personal big board. So again, we'll do one more run through for everybody on this podcast before we close it out at 60 Dominic Barlow. At 59, Ron Harper Jr. At 58, J.D. Davison. At 57, John Butler out of Florida State. At 56, Iverson Molinar. At 55, Vince Williams Jr. At 54, Michael Foster. At 53, Hugo Vassone. At number 52, I have Jordan Hall. 51, Josh Minot. 50, Jalen Williams. 49, John Montero. 48, Walker Kessler. 47, Isaiah Mobley. 46, Kevin McCuller. 45, Musa Diabate. 44, Trevor Keels. 43, Caleb Houston, 42, Leonard Miller, 41, Kendall Brown, 40, Alondis Williams, 39, Gabriel Pochita, 38, Christian Coloco, 37, Justin Lewis, 36, Jabari Walker, 35, Ishmael Kamagate, 34, Ryan Rollins, 33, Christian Brown, 32, Jake LaRavia, and 31, Wendell Moore. That closes out my 60 through 31. Again, we'll we'll split the first round up into two podcasts. We'll go a little more in-depth on each breakdown of the board. Hopefully, I'll have a special guest able to join me to help me break down some of those guys, maybe answer some of my questions I have um, about why I have them as I do on my big board. We will figure that out in due time. But I really thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Draft Deeper podcast. Everybody wants to hear what my big board looks like, where I'm putting these guys in certain mocks. We'll have plenty more mock draft podcasts coming in, in the near future as we get closer to the draft time. That I can assure you. But we'll get these big board podcasts out. We'll continue to have guests on to talk about their guys in the 2022 draft class. I have a lot of No Ceilings family coming on. Um, I have some other interesting guests lined up to be able to talk to. So, you, if you don't want to miss any of these podcasts coming, make sure you're subscribed to the Draft Deeper podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper for all of the important updates, all of my personal musings about the 2022 NBA draft class as we head into June 23rd. And then make sure you're following the No Ceilings Collective on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA and that you're subscribed to the No Ceilings Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. We're going to continue pumping out content every single day, Monday through Friday, all the way through the draft, and, and likely very much so after the draft, even as we start to head into a down period um, for, for draft coverage. Make sure you're tuning in, though, for all of our lottery team breakdowns, all of the individual pieces we're still going to be doing on prospects, some of the team-up work that we have coming on some of the bigger-name prospects. So much to look forward to on the written front, on the podcast front, and our YouTube front as well. No Ceilings TV. Definitely make sure you're subscribed over to YouTube. So thank you all again for tuning into this show and listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.